Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome on the Culture News. My name is David Cerebro, and I have the pleasure today on iHeartRadio and other platforms to have the wonderful, the legendary drummer, musician, arranger, producer, and so much more is going to tell us about all of that. The one and only Mr. Robbie Parrish. Robbie, how are you today? I'm doing great, sir. How are you? I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for uh, being with us today. I really appreciate it. First of all, I love your look, man. I love all these chains, all these bracelets that uh, you are wearing. So that is great. So can you please tell us, first of all, Ro uh, Robbie, what brought you to music? How did you start music? How music was brought to your life? I have always loved music. I started very young. I, was, I started on guitar. And I was so terrible that the guitar teacher told my mother I had no talent. Then I, then after that, I went to drums. She said that that uh, she pointed to a drum set and she said that always looked like so much fun. Why don't you try that? So I did. First drum teacher said I had no talent. Second drum teacher thought I was extremely talented. Next thing I know, I'm touring, playing live all over the world by the age ten. After that. Uh, at that time, uh, I got the call to play with Chuck Berry on uh, New Year's Eve, um, uh, American Bandstand, hosted by Dick Clark. By the time Chuck Berry had died, I'd played with them probably 20 times. I'd also recorded on the album that accompanies the, the life of Johnny B. Good Johnson, his pianist and arranger. Um, uh, I did all that, you know, so I had quite a history with the Chuck Berry family, you know. Well, and indeed, what a beautiful journey, music journey. So then after, tell me a little bit of how you transition also uh, to being an arranger and a producer. So stepping a little bit away from, quote unquote, just being a drummer, you know. <laughs> That's a great story. I love to tell this story because everybody wants to give me all the credit. And that's not totally true. These things have happened to me by accident, several things. Okay, now the arranger producer, I was playing on a recording session in Nashville. I'd been touring with George Jones. I was on my third tour. I was privileged to play on records for Tony Brown, MCA record president in Nashville. I made one small suggestion uh, with the lady, I'm not gonna say her name, that's none of my business, but she was quite a large name, and him were having a, they were having a personal relationship and not not speaking. I made one I made one uh, comment, and and when Tony went to pay me, I couldn't believe the amount of money, and he said, "Oh no, that's not just for drumming. That's for arranging, producing." Just and and then he advised me when when I went home to Houston, Texas for the holidays to find a diamond in the rough to polish, to learn how to be in a band, like a, a real band, the main drummer, like even if I've never done it, do that. Because I'd always played with people with records already out, you know, musicals. And uh, I had never done the thing where friends play in a, in a garage, you know. And so that's what I did. So the first person I met was Robert Woodridge. And that that's at age 27, I started that. 
Wow, I love that story. So do you think that um, the fact that you became later an arranger and a producer as well, do you think it made you a better drummer? And the fact that you are uh, a drummer made you some sort of a different arranger than if you would have been a pianist or a singer, for example? Uh, yes, sir, I do. But can I also say this, what was diagnosed in, in high school with me, I was born seeing colors with all sonics, not only music, with dialogue, like our dialogue now is like a pale blue. It's very cool. You're a cool guy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of shy. So uh, I feel comfortable with you, you know? Um, so, so I see colors with all sonics, you see? With that goes perfect pitch, goes oversensitive to light like an albino. Like when I toured with Eric, uh, Edgar Winter, he's the only one that truly understood what it was like, you know, because it gets worse every year. Then I'm very dyslexic, right? So all these things combined, but mainly the perfect pitch thing has really helped me excel in music as not only, only a ranger producer, but when I was playing with the psychedelic band, uh, the sound man was also Elton John's sound man. John Waite and the Baby's sound man. So back then, they didn't have samples for drums. So, um, so uh, he was amazed that I had a tiny drum set because Fever Tree was the first original rock band I'd ever played with. You know, I'd never, I, I'd always played with people with records out, Broadway musicals, you know, shows, uh, jazz, um, but I, I'd never played original rock. So. We were on on the bill with very heavy bands, and they'd laugh at me with my little tiny jazz drum set, which was like an 18-inch bass drum, right? So once again, this happened by accident, where I got known to be the drum tuner or the drum sonic god, you know, because it was this sound man that thought I had the talent to recreate what they did in these elaborate studios back then. They couldn't; they had difficulty you know, duplicating live. Now it's not a big deal. They pull samples from everywhere, you know. Um, but back then, you know, um, it, there, there wasn't any way to get that. So I became the guy. So all the bands that I started tuning for, for were from England after Elton John, you know. And then the sound man did, did the police synchronicity tour. So that brought me into Sting. You see, they were all connected, you know. And then I mastered records with Bob Ludwig. So I got to meet all the greats. I'm Bob Claremont and everybody. So it was all connected, you know. Bob would recommend me to everybody, from the Stones to Tom Petty to everybody. Say, you got to have Robbie, you know. So does that help? <laughs> oh, yeah, man. It's, it's such a beautiful, uh, beautiful stories. And, and thank you for what, what you're sharing with us. So my next question would be, what have you learned really by by watching all these legends uh, performing and, and sometimes even being by their sides. What this era also, because as you said, you know, it was, it was a certain era. Um, what, what have you learned by watching all these legends that you can share with us that they had in common, perhaps? I would say everything. I'm very comfortable with the high level, international level talent. I'm not always as 
popular with the actual drum techs or the drummers or the the local bands around where I live, which is not really a, a music industry town. They're great musicians, but Austin, Texas is more music industry affiliate, you know. But um, when the levels are high, I always remember what my father taught me. Never look down or up to anybody. Always look at them even. So therefore, I'm comfortable. Whereas a lot of people are like, oh my God, I'm working with, you know. I've never been like that. I've always been, okay, great. <laughs> wow, that, that's a beautiful phrase. Never look up and never look down on yes. someone. Yeah, my father he was a pharmacist. Wow, God, God bless his soul. And um, what, who were your your music influences? The the artists that you were listening, and perhaps the drummers who have inspired you back then. Okay, you want to hear this story? Do you want to hear another great story? I had the privilege of meeting Jimi Hendrix in the Experience at ten years old. There was a World's Fair in my state, in, in San Antonio, Texas. It was, it was a hemisphere, okay? I am playing already, like I told you. I'm playing with older men, you know, um, professional men. We weren't very good, I'm sure. And I was probably not good at all at 10, you know? But um, I'll never forget meeting him. Uh, here's how it happened. We were playing on a weekday very hot human i don't know if you've ever been to texas but texas is known for humidity and heat okay so um we're playing to nobody even though it's a world's fair it was a weekday it was nobody there okay down comes jimmy hendrix and the experience now up until this moment at this age my father despising long hair scared of john lennon's control over me um I um, I was so pleased to see curly hair with rock musicians. And he couldn't have been kinder. He was so soft-spoken, just like when he sings, you know. And he's another guy that was so great, like John Lennon, that never really liked his recorded voice. I know you know that, right? And uh, he just had a way about him, you know. So I would say that that experience changed my life forever. Let me tell you the funny part. Okay, so I've already told you the serious part. He was kind to me, Mitch Mitchell. I've always been compared to all my life. And then um, Noel Redding, he was okay. You know, he wasn't too great. But uh, anyway, they gave us tickets to their concert at the Municipal Auditorium. Backstage, um, front row. We'd never heard of backstage pass. <laughs> so we go. That's not the funny part. That's a sound I'll never forget, okay? And he gave me a poster, you know, that I still have hanging in my house now. Um, uh, and so, I, uh, you know, Mitch Mitchell's a jazz drummer that liked to play rock, right? So I guess that's how I could relate so easily because that's what I was, you know? I like to play all styles, but I came from a jazz background. Okay, so, so anyway, I go home. This is the funny part. I go home and I raid my mother's closet of everything Paisley, polka dot, 
velvet, satins, anything like that, right? That's when I started dressing like I do. That's how many years. So I'm I'm 66 now, and that's age 10. So does does that help? Very much so. <laughs> and and uh, thank you for your really generosity and and sharing with us all these beautiful stories. So you you would say that to be a great musician, you need to experience as many styles as possible because you came from jazz and you did rock music. Tell us about it. I, I think the important thing to think about music is, is music. There shouldn't, the, all the other labels are, are for marketing reasons. You know, you play the song, you play each song. Whatever style that is, you need to play it. That's that's the way to play music and to think about music. Like Miles Davis had the best concept, you know? Uh, don't call it anything, you know? Like, it's just music, right? That's easy to understand. It's an art form. It's music. The only universal language we have is the arts, right? That's true. Wow. So, so I think it's very important to do that. And I, I, I agree with you. And, and, and I believe what you learn also from one style enriches the next style that you're playing. So I, I totally, I'm with you a thousand percent on that. Um, so you work with all these these big names and uh, what, what would you say is one of your biggest uh, achievements in your in your career that is what now 50 years it's longer than that because i started at 10 so mm. I'm, I'm 65 55 years wow. <laughs> okay so i think what i'm involved with right now uh i started before i quit music uh in 2008 i quit at age 50. And I think uh, I started one album before that called Elements of Friendship. This began me being fascinated with learning how better to record the true sound of friendship. Okay, that would mean this. All great musicians would sit down and play. They had a certain chemistry. I would call people that had a certain chemistry. Nothing was allowed to be discussed, run through, or rehearsed. We were only allowed to play all the songs once. There was very few count-offs or anything. It's a lot of listening, you know? Okay, so nothing technical would get in the way of the performance. The albums were released in the sequence we recorded them. And then I'd have them mastered. Now, a few of them, I, I might have maybe one or two polish up, you know, uh, final recording days. But basically the concept was not to do that. It was to leave everything like it was, like we played these songs. And and uh, in uh, 20, uh, let's see, 2019, I had a sick birthday 61. So I decided once I heard that these two lady friends of mine were going to throw me a surprise party, a birthday party, and I despised that so that I would book a recording session. So I had I hadn't been doing anything, you know. I had quit. So I came back to one of my favorite engineers, Steve Christensen, here in Houston. He's not just a local engineer; he's just a great recording engineer. Anyway, he has a great vibe, great mannerism. So I thought he'd be perfect, and he had a new studio he'd opened. 
So I said, okay, Steve, I'm ready to record with you. He said, oh, great, Robbie. What are we going to record? I said, I have no idea. I said, and I can't record, Robbie, until a year. I said, okay, that's perfect. Let's record a year on my birthday, starting my birthday. And he kept saying, what are we going to record? I said, I don't know. I have to think about it. I'll go home. So what I did is I thought of my first people that were mentors, me and music, and we played on my birthday. Then the next day, we brought in more of a jazz influence, right? Then the, then the next day was more funk, you know? And, and that is what I've been releasing right now. I'm fascinated with musicians that have a chemistry where they don't have to talk because I have a background of working with producers that overproduce all the energy out of everything instead of the actual natural performance. Like when I work with Don was, when I work with people like Daniel Lenoir and people like that, it's about the performance, you know? And I came from a performing standpoint. Maybe that's it, you know? I'm not an engineer. Anybody that says Robbie Parrish, engineer, arranger, producer is wrong. <laughs> I am only an arranger producer. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, can you tell us what is perfection to simplicity nine? And oh, that's what can we find in it? That is a great question for me. Mm -hmm. I have the honor, believe it or not, this is my life is like fiction, right? It's like unbelievable. Okay. I had the honor of, of Picasso's best friend summoning me to want to meet me because he knew that I see colors when I perform music and he loved music. And he knew that I had worked with a lot of international acts that he really liked. I, I love Ennio Morricone. I'd done drum sounds for him, Andre Bocelli. And, and he was actually his lawyer in Italy. He was an actual lord in Milan this great artist okay so so he asked he asked um to draw me so you know that's how it happened okay so he's the one that told me robbie do you know true masters go one step beyond simplicity we must reach we we must reach one step, um, I got it backwards. I'm sorry, I'm just like, okay. So we must reach one step beyond complexity to reach simplicity. And if you think about it, it's true. Picasso, I don't know if you know this, you probably do. He would paint the actual traditional way. Then he'd paint over it in black or something dark. Then he'd keep layering until it was more abstract as it went and simple. John Lennon's voice from the heart is so simple. The song Imagine, you know? So that's where the name comes. Ron Fontenot, the musician's photographer that you met that helps me with everything I met in 2016. Now, he became the look of my sound of friendship in this experiment. Um, so, so he suggested adding the number nine because, because it's Asian for prosperity and success, right? I hadn't thought of that, but I'm very popular in Japan. When, when I play Japan, I've been written about as Robbie Parrish, 
has a Japanese heart. When Robbie Parrish performs, he's always sold out concerts throughout Japan. Grown businessmen cry and they always strive to get on the front row. There's something about him that's unique. So inspiring uh, what, you, what you're telling us. Um, and I, I think this, Picasso's friend is the one that did the cover for Elements of Friendship. Ah. Passed away now. Oh, that's beautiful. He, when he heard the music, he asked to draw it. He was fascinated that I had played drums with Andrew Lloyd Webber um, uh, on Broadway and in London with uh, uh, on Evita and Jesus Christ Superstar. Wow. He had painted Eva Perron, believe it or not. He wow. had painted Pablo Casals. He had painted people that nobody painted, okay? He remembered what it was like when they carried her away. Now, I was hired by a billionaire couple for a record label to do a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber. So what I chose to do, because Andrew is so strict, you know, he's got to approve of what you do, right? Mm -hmm. So I decided to pare it down and have very few people, only people that work with Andrew Lloyd Webber, like myself, right? And um, I asked this artist what these sounds were like. Like, what was it like when you sat on the pew at her funeral? What was it like when they carried away? And I imitated that on the record. And he was fascinated with that. He began calling me uh, Conte, Count. Mm. And he referred to me as more of a magician of music. His name is Antonio Laurel. Wow. You can look him up. You can go, he's amazing. Wow. Just when you mention Andrew Lloyd Webber, my, my eyes are already shining. So what, what, what is the difference, you would say, between a drummer and a Sonics expert? Okay. Sonics expert is not something I call myself. That's other people have labeled me that. Okay. I can, um, because I was born with this perfect pitch, I look at it like I'm cheating, right? I see the colors. I know the pitch. Perfect. I can tune to the exact key of every song recorded, right? Imitate it. So, so um, in a like when I was doing the MTV Unplugged series or things like that, or overseeing all the drum sounds for Woodstock 2, Lollapalooza, Live Aid, that really comes in handy, like I was telling you. It's really the way I was born more than the way I strive to be, you know? It was easy for me to get the drums to sound right. So I began getting this reputation because of that. And you see, there wasn't many people. I was actually a pioneer of this improvement of all balance sonics, of all recordings, whether it was um, in, a, in a recording studio or live concerts, a live radio or live television. Okay, for example, Barbara Streisand, when she came back the last time when she did the television special, right? That producer decides that he wants me to change the drum sounds for each time period of her career in the set order that she's going to do it. So I only had the time in between when she talked to the audience on a live television performance to get it perfect. Wow. Wow, <laughs> I cannot imagine the the stress that that you must have. So 
you you would so say that a, a drum is is not just um, a, a sound is also a note yeah yes yes it yes it can be perfect or you a lot of times you don't want it perfect because you don't want it to conflict with the key of the song um with the other instruments you know you have to build the chord together you can't you can't have something conflicting okay now that's another thing they'll call me in on is conflicting sonics like the movie the titanic when the ocean rushes in the ship right when the snare drum falls sorry i'm sorry on the on the ground what's the reverb amount i know it i can duplicate it i can tell the engineer what to do when they crash into the water when they swim you see it's not always drums with me anymore you know it's it's special effects movies like matrix or uh, uh, you know mostly action movies you know um black panther that that type thing i get called in for um a lot of taiko drums are used in um in in um action movies where you have an explosion that drum caters to that you know and then i have worked with kodo and i've worked with many of the great japanese groups you know that it's like a religion to them so i actually bring them up on stage with me on my concerts in japan to play with me when i'm playing rock you know or when i'm playing like i play you know so so i think that um to answer your question um i didn't give myself that label that was given to me by people that write about me and it's an honor you know and they were absolutely right to call you uh, like this because you really are a master in this so before we start i said we start to say goodbye to to each other uh what are your next uh, gigs what, what is going on for you what is the next thing for you that you would like well, to talk about Uh, can I can I tell this story you can edit? Of course, <laughs> um, sorry. Okay. I'm very popular in Japan. My last tour of Japan was extremely popular. It was called the Sound of Dreams tour. Stadiums, small concert halls, packed, always sold out. We were to come back during the Olympics and then the virus happened, right? We were supposed to go to China at the Olympics. Then you know what that happened, right? Then all my things like that just became canceled 40 concerts in europe um the outside looking in cd that i released was was really what i was trying to do is duplicate my life as a drummer as an abstract outside drummer that at age 14 was asked by george wine to play montreux jazz festival with my own jazz group okay so i i became more commercial as i got older right i started as a very outside jazz drum you know um so so that album kind of covers that uh where i became more commercial more funk i started to into temptations and rock bands leon russell edgar winter you know and i i really believe that just music was music and you got to play the song you know that was it you know so my next thing will be most likely go back to Japan, my next tour. I'm very excited of releasing um, uh, 
Perfection of Simplicity 9 with Daryl Levine, an amazing keyboard player from New Orleans. And, you know, I have the same kind of background as him. I played with Eddie James, Dr. John, did records for Alan Toussaint. You know, we had this, it was kind of wild the way we met. I met because I was producing an, a girl that was an opera singer that never um, sang pop. And her name was Andy Ingram. And we did two albums. One was released. One was called Mess of the Beautiful that was released on the last tour of Japan. I had her guest appear at the end. Um, Daryl played on both. And he's also musical director for B.B. King Band. And uh, um, I don't know how to say his name. Delfeo uh, Marsalis. He's getting ready to leave on tour with him. You know, the Marsalis family from Louisiana is really a gifted family. All of them. This is the trombone player. So Daryl is Daryl is the one I did that album with where I just sat down, played with Daryl one time. Then Chris Marsh, we we overdubbed the bass in uh, Kyle, Texas with Rick Del Castillo has a wonderful band called Del Castillo. And uh, he is an, a great arranger, producer, engineer uh, himself, multi-instrumentalist. So we did that. Okay, so the virus happened that. Right after that, um, that's when the virus hit Texas, okay? So everything was canceled until 2023. Then I asked my Brazilian friend that moved to Seattle, Washington, Guilherme Fonseca, to play guitar. So it was completed. The guitars were completed then. And recently, we're honored because Daryl knows him very well with Dennis Moody mixing all the album. So I'm very excited about that. Mark Holman will master it and a disc maker oppress it. And wow. then John writes a wonderful article and puts it out internationally. Hopefully yeah. you'll hear all of my music on yeah. Apple, Spotify, Amazon. Yeah, and we say hello to to John, Dave, who is doing an amazing work. So um, listen, my dear friend, Robbie Parrish is an absolute legend. And I'm so, so, so honored having you today on the show. I wish you well, I wish you health, and I wish you more and more and more music. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is David Cerebro. I had the pleasure to have today on iHeartRadio the very talented, the legend, the drummer, the arranger, producer, but so much more, uh, the wonderful Robbie Parrish. Check him out. Parrish is spelled P-A-R-R-I-S. H. He's absolutely wonderful. Right now, more music to follow up on iHeartRadio. It's a beautiful day in New York. Stay tuned for more.